Good evening, everyone. Our new moon meeting tonight will be a little different from what has typically been the case. Instead of one person speaking before the group meditation, there will be two people speaking. The presentations will necessarily be shorter, but they will hopefully provide ample ideas to reflect upon together during the comment period following the meditation. These new moon gatherings provide a specific opportunity to offer support to the group of world servers, that vitally important body of worldwide servers who function as a connecting link between hierarchy and humanity. The theme of tonight's gathering is concerned with a deeper understanding of the word forgiveness. A number of interesting comments are made about forgiveness in Alice Bailey's The Externalization of the Hierarchy. It's pointed out that a spiritual interpretation of this word is giving for, and that it is synonymous with the word sacrifice. From an esoteric point of view, the word forgiveness can be seen as indicating the giving of one's whole self in support of the greater good. This idea of sacrifice, you may recall, figures prominently in the theme for the upcoming cycle of arcane school conferences. Let the group affirm the will as an expression of the law of sacrifice. In Bailey's text, it's stated that forgiveness indicates the sacrifice of selfish personality interests on behalf of the good of the whole. It's indicated as well that the sacrificing of such made by people every day can help save the human kingdom. And it could also be mentioned in doing so, help save the other planetary kingdoms. It's further pointed out that forgiveness relates to the giving of one's practical life to the salvage of the world. The connection between this word and the group of world servers is readily apparent. A primary characteristic of these servers is wholehearted, unconditional support given to advancing the greater good. These ideas underscore a primary objective of ours as servers on earth during this time of transition. Each of us has a sphere of immediate responsibility that can be called our close at hand world. This is the world of daily living. This world typically involves responsibilities related to a home, a work or a community setting, and that might include relationships with various people. For a growing number of disciples, the world of daily living not only includes attention given to relationships and responsibilities in the objective world, but attention given as well to the subjective realm. This is the realm of the soul and the world of energies and forces behind the outer appearance of things. Recognizing this, 
What might it mean to be a living expression of true forgiveness where all is given to the salvaging of the world? As mentioned earlier, we are told that this salvaging takes place as one's practical life is given up. This idea of a person's practical life can possibly be understood as signifying the typical affairs of the personality in which there is, broadly speaking, absorption in career, family, and friends. However, the experience of life becomes very different for the individual whose identification is shifting from the personality to the soul. An idea from Alice Bailey's text, Esoteric Psychology, Volume 2, underscores this point. It states that the moment a man identifies himself with his soul and not with his form, he understands the meaning of the law of sacrifice. He is spontaneously governed by it. Once identification with the soul is underway, the point of view from which a person interacts with his or her world is less and less oriented in the personality and increasingly oriented in the soul. The qualities and characteristics of the soul become more apparent and effort is steadily made to align outer expression with this new sensed inner reality. So while all of the activities of daily living are still addressed, the point of identification from which they are now handled is very different. That practical life as understood when personality identification is present has gradually been relinquished in recognition of soul purposes with a key objective being contribution made toward the salvaging of the world in the expression of true forgiveness. Those associated with the arcane school who are more senior in age recognize that this soul mission is rightly carried through to the end of one's time of incarnation. It's understood that there really shouldn't be any diminishing of this sense of purpose, even though different frailties of the physical body may be experienced. An excellent article that was originally published in the Beacon in 1971 underscores this point. The article is called Age in Relation to Discipleship and was written by M. F. Hazelhurst. The article states that in youth and middle age, a person is often called upon to cope with the demands of diverse, outwardly oriented commitments, the many commitments that can arise through handling the daily activities of one's world. Yet with the arrival of the disciples' so-called older age, these outwardly oriented commitments often lessen in number. This period of time, therefore, can be looked upon as a particular opportunity to deepen meditation and to intensify identification with the soul or on a higher turn of the spiral with the spiritual triad. Hence, participation in the mission of salvaging the world rightly doesn't diminish as the physical body ages. So the giving up of one's practical life, the life of personality orientation in favor of identification with the soul enables a person to recognize a deeper meaning of forgiveness 
the giving of one's whole self in support of the good of the whole. It takes time and persistent effort to relinquish personality identification. It's understood that careful attention must be given to the establishing of what could be called spiritual habits of behavior. These spiritual habits include observation of the content of one's thoughts so that the capacity to think isn't misused. Such habits also include observation of one's words so that they too are not misused. These habits include as well observation of the emotional vehicle so that an inclination to emotionally react isn't tolerated. And they further include a concern for why acting. Once a person's concern is to, is to demonstrate as fully as possible identification with the soul, effort is consistently made to relinquish personality self-interests. As this steadily occurs, one finds that intuitive sensitivity to the greater good rapidly grows. A sense of spiritual purpose through support given to recognized group objectives increasingly guides a person's life expression. One finds as well that there is a sense of playing a part in a tremendous effort underway to salvage the body of humanity from control by the forces of materialism, a part which comes to focus in the right handling of that close at hand world unique to each of us. Let us now say the mantra of the will. Michael will then speak next and shift our consideration of forgiveness from a focus on its more personal expression to an exploration of this word in relation to domestic and international relations. In the center of the will of God, I stand. Not shall deflect my will from his. I implement that will by love. I turn towards the field of service. I, the triangle divine, work out that will within the square and serve my fellow men. All right. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate that presentation and, and um, hope you all can hear me. Let me just double check really quick that I'm, yeah. Okay. It looks like I'm being registered. So as John so eloquently described, forgiveness is a very important spiritual virtue and it has a much deeper meaning than it's 
popular usage normally suggests. At the core of forgiveness, as John described, is giving for. And this is fundamentally about sacrifice, the right use of the will, and it leads to atonement, to the right adjustment of relationship between the various units of a greater whole. In the purely interpersonal sense, forgiveness does involve the conscious release of feelings of resentment and anger towards a person or group that has done one some wrong. But when viewed from the perspective of the group, the nation, or even the planetary whole, it takes on expanded significance. For instead of a focus on freeing oneself from emotional limitation, forgiveness becomes about the right adjustment of relationship at every level. When viewed from the perspective of the group, forgiveness involves the relinquishment of limitation for the greater good. And today I'd like to speak just a bit about forgiveness as it can be and is being applied at the group level. There are a vast range of national, religious, and cultural groups throughout the world today. And many of these span across state lines and are divided within themselves into many subgroups. Many communities have overlapping membership in multiple cultural, national, and religious groups. And this overlapping yet diverse group membership is one of the outstanding qualities of human civilization. There are many wrongs which, once committed, infringe upon the very careful and delicate work of building and maintaining right relationship between all of these various and overlapping and interconnected identities. Such wrongs include, but are not limited to, violence and harm in the physical sense, the violation of basic human rights, interference with the free will and sovereignty of the group over its own affairs, and indirect harm through economic or political subversion, and also propaganda or discourse which perpetuates unresolved historical conflicts of the past. <clears throat> Today, much of the work to prevent, to mitigate, and to resolve these hindrances to right relationship is encompassed within the framework of peace building. Increasingly, peace building has come to encompass more than simply the prevention and resolution of physical conflict, and it aims to eliminate its underlying causes and to otherwise manage conflict at every level. This includes conflict prevention, to address the underlying causes of conflict before they arise, conflict management, to mitigate the adverse effects of conflict while it's ongoing, conflict resolution or transformation, which aims to end ongoing conflict, and post-conflict reconciliation, which aims to mitigate the chances of conflict recidivism. Key to the work of building a sustaining peace at all of these stages are two qualities which are very relevant to today's theme of forgiveness. These are reconciliation and justice. International reconciliation aims to rebuild relationships among groups who have been affected by conflict 
and to restore, and it seeks to restore trust both between these groups as well as between citizens and the state. It aims to disrupt enmity and hatred and to build in at least a measure of harmony, cooperation, and decency. One outstanding example of a successful post-conflict reconciliation can be seen in U.S. and Vietnamese relations. So just a, a brief recap of history for those who may be unfamiliar. The Vietnam Peace Accords were signed in early 1973. And um, unfortunately, these really never aimed to truly restore peace at all, but really rather were um, peace accords were provided, um, excuse me, were signed in order to provide political coverage for the U.S. withdrawal from a war that had been going on for many, many years. The formal war actually ended two years later when the North Vietnamese defeated the U.S. allied South Vietnamese government. But at that point, it still took 20 years in 1995 for U.S. and Vietnam to reestablish normal diplomatic relations. And this is what first enabled the reconciliation process to begin. Since that time, reconciliation has occurred largely at the grassroots level by individuals who had been directly harmed by or suffered the trauma of the war. One injured U.S. soldier moved to Hanoi in the 1990s to establish an organization called the, Vietnam the Vietnam Assistance for the Handicapped, which helps handicapped people to find training jobs and support. Many Vietnamese Americans have also returned to Vietnam to provide education and job assistance. And such acts are certainly sacrificial in nature and are based in the giving for, which is the keynote of forgiveness. Though forgiveness at the emotional and interpersonal level is surely one component of these grassroots initiatives, the sacrificial giving which they embody have even more far-reaching effects within the mind and at the group and the national level. Following Vietnam's shift to a free market economy, America has become Vietnam's biggest export market. Both the success of Vietnam's free market economy and their trade relations with the U.S. have greatly imp improved public perception of the U.S. by Vietnamese. The restoration of positive public perception has profound implications for reconciliation between the two countries. Interestingly, it is the result of shared economic ideas and the subsequent cooperation in the field of economics and commerce which in this instance becomes a less obvious expression of forgiveness. These agreements required, um, these agreements required a measure of prejudice and animosity from both sides to be relinquished, and thus a forgiveness of sorts. Another fundamental barrier to right relationship between national in international groups, and also very related to forgiveness, is a real or perceived lack of justice. And forgiveness here plays a vital role. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Forgiveness here too can play a vital role in restoring this justice. Justice is inherently subjective, 
in understanding of the types of justice that lead to lasting peace and right relationship have evolved greatly over the last 100 years. And there are many types, but two are salient here. And these are restorative justice, which seeks to repair harm and to hold responsible parties to account, and transformative justice, which seeks above all else to create a change in social systems, even if some of the perpetrators of crimes are not, in the end, um, held accountable. So a lack of justice can greatly inhibit the restoration of right relationship between groups and arguably even can make it impossible. Sometimes even a perceived lack of justice is enough to prevent reconciliation. One such example is relations between Japan and South Korea, which today remain strained despite decades of attempts at reconciliation. During World War II, many abuses were committed by Imperial Japan against Korea, notably the so-called comfort women, Korean women who were enslaved and forced to have sex with military soldiers. The 1965 Reconciliation Treaty was forced through in Korea by dictator Park Chung-hee, despite profound public opposition, largely because many felt it did not hold Japan to account. The agreement sought primarily the restoration of economic cooperation. However, decades of such cooperation have not been enough to make up for this, 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 this continued perception of injustice. The 2015 Agreement on Comfort Women is also widely perceived as insufficient and beholden to political expediencies. South Korea's continued insistence on restorative justice and Japan's unwillingness to meet these demands today strains the relations of these countries in numerous small but significant ways. Though the rebuilding of relationship continues to proceed along numerous lines, the lack of perceived justice presents, prevents the process of forgiveness and reconciliation from moving forward. One of the key necessities to reestablishing justice is the elimination of hatred. For, quote, hatred closes the eyes of justice. End quote. Hatred limits the ability for right discrimination, and it grants a distorted perspective of the truth. The practice of forgiveness at both the interpersonal and group level is an effective way of eliminating hatred and restoring that right perspective and discernment, which is key to right action and right relationship. The fullest practice of forgiveness takes us from the overcoming of emotional limitation into the mind and from there to a sense of the whole. Through further alignment with the soul, the quality of sacrifice for that whole naturally supervenes. And this leads to the relinquishment of all which blocks the free flow of relationship, thereby unifying all divisions and creating that peace which passeth understanding and makes of all peoples positive and dynamic forces for good. Forgiveness, reconciliation, and justice 
all three are necessarily different parts of the same great act, redemption. We are told redemption is the entire purpose for the formation of our planet and of all which lives and moves upon it. And as we learn to cooperate with this greater life, the whole in which we necessarily find our part, the past is resolved into the present, and both can then be projected into the future. In the words of St. Paul, forgetting the things which are behind, press forward. And so let us now proceed with our meditation, strengthening the hands of the new group of world servers. We link together in group fusion. I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is theirs. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them. Alignment. We recognize our place as a group within the heart center of the group of world servers. We mentally extend the line of lighted loving energy towards the spiritual hierarchy, the planetary heart center. Into the Christ, the heart of love within the hierarchy. And from there to Shambhala, where the will of God is known.
higher interlude. Hold the mind focused for a few moments on the planetary role of the group of world servers, mediating between hierarchy and humanity, responding to hierarchical impression, and mediating the plan into existence. Meditation, we reflect on the seed thought through the impression and expression of certain great ideas, humanity must be brought to the understanding of the fundamental ideals which will govern the new age. This is the major task of the group of world servers.
precipitation. Visualize the precipitation of the will to good, essential love throughout the planet from Shambhala through the planetary heart, the hierarchy, through the Christ, the group of world servers, through all men and women of goodwill everywhere in the world. And finally, through the hearts and minds of the whole human family. Lower interlude. Consider many, the many ways in which the power of the one life and the love of the one soul are working out in the world through members of the group of world servers and so building a thought form of solution to world problems. distribution. Sound together the great invocation. And as we do so, we visualize the irradiation of human consciousness with light and love and power. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into human minds. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, 
let love stream forth into human hearts. May the coming one return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide all little human wills. The purpose which the masters know and serve. From the center, which we call the human race, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth. <clears throat> Oh. Thank you, everyone. So I'd like to invite John Reisman to come back on. Hi, John. Yeah. Hi, Michael. Um, go ahead and mute that real quick. All right. Sorry, I was just going to say we have a bit of a technological limitation here, John, that it's that we have to, um, we can't have both our audio output and our audio input playing at the same time because we get feedback there on different systems. Okay. And so it may mean that we're talking and um, so basically I can't hear you until I finish talking. All I'm trying to say is, John, if we, if for some reason you, you, you want to chime in and, and we won't shut up, um, you could just raise your hand like any other host would. And the, but then I'll know for sure that to, that you're trying to speak. Okay. I'm so sorry. This is a, something we've been trying to resolve for basically over a year now, and it's just been, you know, one technological thing after another, but let's not put any more focus on that. Um, so I'd just like to invite anybody now, this is the time of the meeting, anybody who would like to can speak and to share their thoughts on the theme. And to raise your hand, you can just go to the reactions toolbar and um, then click on raise hand. All right, Maya has her hand raised. Okay, she's, she's, she said, excuse me, so let the person on the Zoom go. So 
Hey, Charles, go ahead and unmute yourself. I mean, you're muted. Go ahead and speak when you when you're ready. Oh, thank you. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, um, we can hear you. Go ahead. Oh, good. Okay. Um, one thing came through that I think must be recognized, and that is the recognition of the difference between sacrifice and forgiveness. Sacrifice is the giving of oneself, and often for the greater good, often for that which will move humanity forward. But forgiveness is intimately related to harm. So harm that has occurred and the release of those who have caused the harm from the consequences of it and, you know, the harm that they have inflicted. Now, that release can be the sacrifice of full retribution for harm that has occurred, but sacrifice is related to giving a part of the being, and that giving can be void of any harm that has occurred or any forgiveness needed. So they're two very different concepts and two very different actions. They're often related, but I don't see them as the same. And there's just one more point, too. When we have forgiveness, there's usually it's related to apology. And the most important part of forgiveness and then apology is the acceptance by the person that has been harmed, right, of that apology. So things can move on and therefore it becomes, quote unquote, bygones. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, thank you so much, Charles. I really appreciate your comment. It, it does make sense. Thank you. I'm going to pass this on to Maya next. Thank you, John and Michael um, and Charles, actually, because um, I've been really thinking about this for probably my entire lifetime, <laughs> this topic of forgiveness. Um, towards the end of Michael's speaking, the, the um, quote from the Bible of Jesus as he's being crucified and saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do, suddenly popped into my mind. And, you know, at the end of this talk, it really had a new light for me because, you know, he was talking about ignorance, that we forgive people because they're ignorant of their soulfulness, their true nature. They have ignored it. And it reminded me of some of the other issues that were discussed in the presentation too, such as um, the Japanese and other cultures where very um, significant harmful things have happened. Like um, I think it's been written about recently that the Japanese government has still never apologized for atrocities during World War II. And I was thinking about that as a culture, they have difficulty acknowledging shame because that means wrongdoing. And there's a very high level of perfectionism in the culture. So psychologically, sometimes when you understand how people, cultures work, then you can understand why certain cultures have more difficulty with things like uh, acknowledging wrongdoing. But when you give the power to the person to forgive, it's a very interesting and powerful choice 
of trying to move on, as Charles said. Because you're not waiting for someone to develop soulfulness. You're not waiting for them to develop introspection and ability to see what they've done as being wrong. Shame means that you have the ability to step back and say, something I've done is wrong. But if somebody can't do it, then what do you do? How do you move on? Well, you, if you forgive, then you're sort of, you're taking back that whole dynamic that's been created between you and the other. And it's divesting you of that karmic loop, being part of that karmic loop, you know, shame and anger and uh, rage, and then back and forth and back and forth. So when Jesus was on the cross and saying, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do, he knew that they were going to have karma. That's inevitable. You, you can't avoid the karma of your actions. But he wasn't going to participate in being part of that loop, that perpetual loop between him and those that had harmed him. Um, other cultures, like I was thinking about honor killings, where a woman has been wronged, like raped, but the family's re response is she's brought shame upon us, even though it was something that she didn't bring upon herself. And so the, the, the solution is to kill her because the family can't feel the shame of the perpetrator's action. So again, it's like this psychological loop. And I know that there's a lot of Christian denominations now that are trying to encourage participants to forgive before the perpetrator can acknowledge their wrongdoing, sometimes maybe hastily or too, too quickly without really fully feeling through what they're doing. But it's a step in that direction. So we're at an interesting time right now where we're trying to create right relations and we're trying to sort of wind our way through this, these loops, these loops of shame and forgiveness. And I really think when you forgive, you're sacrificing your need for apology. You're sacrificing your need to be part of this perpetual loop of waiting to have, um, you know, some kind of, what's the word, you know, anyway, it's not coming to me, but I'll wrap it up. Um, you're really sort of short circuiting the whole process and moving to a higher level. And to me, that's what, in this case, sacrifice means, sacrificing the need for your personality to be compensated. Mm -hmm. Anyway, thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Maya. Uh, John, did you have something to say? Yeah, I did, Michael. And Maya, um, your comments were beautiful. And um, I resonated very strongly with what you said about um, 
sacrifice relates to forgiveness in the sense of no longer feeling a need for an apology. It's like unconditional love is present. And there's just this giving forth, um, to use Michael's words, of love, this giving forth of love. And there's no sense necessarily of an apology being needed because one has moved, as you indicated, Maya, to that higher level of perspective, a soul perspective. And so thinking of forgiveness in terms of giving forth and sacrificing a need for some kind of apology, then we can see a bridge between those two words, um, sacrifice and um, forgiveness, just to piggyback on the comments that um, Charles was making, um, which were quite appropriate, I felt, from a particular point of view. But for our considerations here, we're thinking of forgiveness in um, kind of a different way from what it's usually thought of. Um, and so I think that's enough for now. Oh, Michael, one last thought, though. Your comments about forgiveness as it plays out on the international stage were so interesting. And you, you made the comment about Korean and Japanese relations and how they are still strained because of a sense of there not having been um, adequate, um, I don't remember the word that you used, restitution made for wrongs done to Korea. I have read though that there's a shift occurring now because of the younger generation, because of the sharing of cultures between the younger Koreans and the younger Japanese in music, in food tastes, in clothing and fashion tastes. Um, there's the sharing now going on. And because of this sharing with the younger generation, there's a sense that's developing between the younger members of these cultures of the um, sense of wrong having been done beginning to be diminished. So here we see a giving forth of um, cultures, the sharing of cultures, a giving forth. And because of that, um, there's a, a bridging that is um, very gradually occurring, it would seem, between these two countries. And that's it, Michael. Yeah, thank you so much, John and Maya and everybody for your comments. Just just to add one thing, I sort of, not sort of what Maya got me thinking is, you know, there's, um, we often can find um, a lot of understanding. I think one of the one of the key things is understanding in the fact that we're all sinners and we've all sinned. And especially at the international level, I think one of the things to realize is that every country has a lot of blood on their hands, pretty much, not literally every, but pretty much every country. If you go back in the, especially far enough in the history and especially in human history in general, there's been a lot, a lot of war, a lot of wrongdoing and even ancient karma always comes due in the end. And so it's not, a, and so, yeah. Mm -hmm. My aspect, do they feel shame about it? But yeah, I think that's a major limiting factor. Yeah. Yeah. That's why to me forgiveness is like it circumvents that. Mm -hmm. You don't wait for them to develop shame. Yeah. Um, 
but just I know Charles, you raised your hand, but you've already spoken and Santana hasn't. So I was just gonna let Santana speak. Santana, if you could go ahead and unmute. On there, I think that worked. Did that work, Michael? Michael, are you? Can you hear me now? Hello. Uh, nice antenna. Yeah, we can hear you. Oh, Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, obviously, if, if uh, forgiveness is necessary, there's been conflict, which made me think about restoring the harmony between uh, people and nations. But it's also tidying with harmlessness. But it's also, I, I feel John alluded, as a soul radiation. And I think another aspect of sacrifice that has to be thought of is the making sacred. And what a joy it is, the closer you are to your soul and your spirit, to just radiate that unconditional love and forgiveness and make sacred relationships. Um, that's all I wanted to say. And that gets you out of the karmic loop. And thank you, everyone, for everything, all the wise comments. Thank you, Santana. Uh, Charles, go ahead. Uh, I've lost the I've lost the cursor one second. Uh, this, this, I don't think it's another. Here we go. Okay, just um, very quickly, um, I thought that what Maya said was wonderful, and there's this unique point that we get, and I think the soul, of course, is related to this, that we can see where all of the um, harm is caused, we can see the ways of people and nations, but there's an acceptance of that's where they're at, it doesn't touch our being, but there is still the motivation to move things forward. So this can be with family, this can be with friends, this can be between countries, but there's this detachment that I think does come from the soul that allows you to assess the lack of perfection and where work is needed, but it isn't really personal. It's just, let's move this forward wherever the harm is, let's eradicate it. But there isn't the personal involvement in it where you know, you're involved in a way that it affects your being. It doesn't touch your being, but it does affect humanity and our movement forward by that acceptance. Thank you, Charles. Absolutely. There's a lot of really great comments in the chat. Um, I'm sure everybody can already read them, but... You have so many perspectives on this, on this thing, and this, you know, the whole equation. the The Tibetan equates forgiveness with with sacrifice, and I think what he's trying to do is not to say, okay, well, here's a here's an occult way of looking at forgiveness. Here's the occult way, and then there's the other way, which is like the mundane way. He's just trying to provide a perspective that, from one angle, forgiveness can be seen as sacrifice when it's when it's looked at, perhaps. Sort of as Charles, you suggested, moving away from the emotional and the personal, looking at the larger whole, you see that when forgiveness is present, you know, in fact, a sacrifice has been made 
not to say they aren't distinct concepts, of course, but that this idea of of um, sacrifices is present. And really, it's it's to say that sacrifice is, in fact, a much in the occult uh, philosophy is actually a much greater thing than we than than we realize. And in fact, you one can one can sacrifice at many many different levels, and even. John alluded to the Arcane School keynote this year, the upcoming conferences is um, let the group affirm the will as an expression of the law of sacrifice. And so in some way, even this very, very sort of ineffable and indefinable um, concept or energy of the will is in fact just one aspect of this great, this great law of sacrifice, which is as Santana stated the law of, of wholeness and of making holy. Kathy has one thing to say or something to say. Here you go, Kathy. Yeah, just one thing, actually. Just um, to affirm what the Tibetan brings in in the law of sacrifice, which I think helps us to make it a little easier um, in life. He relates it to the relinquishment or the relinquishing of gain, which is a concept from the Gita. And if we look at life as with an understanding that we can't really control anybody else's actions, we can only focus on our own actions. And therefore, it's not really about forgiving others, but it's more like not expecting in that kind of situation, not expecting that we can control the actions of others or expecting that they will um, behave in ways that we would think appropriate. We can only focus on our own actions and our own abilities to forgive. So, Thank you, Kathy. Uh, John, did you have anything to say before we close? No, I'm good, Michael. I think it's been a great uh, um, um, conversation and many thanks to all of you who've shared your comments, um, either um, aloud or via the chat. Much appreciated. Thank you so much, John. Um, just in closing, I'd like to make a few announcements. Um, so the next um, full moon meeting will be the Taurus full moon, the full moon of Waysak, which will be held Friday, May 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So this is to in order to observe the exact moment of Waysak, we will be holding the meeting earlier in the day. And this Waysak full moon meeting on Friday, May 5th will actually sort of inaugurate the Arcane School Conferences because the New York Arcane School Conference will be held the next two days, May Saturday, Sunday, May 6th and 7th, from 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. It's New York time. And so we invite all of you to go to www.lucistrust.org backslash conference and to register for the Zoom links. Or if you live nearby, perhaps even to attend in person. We have rented a room, a very nice room at the Three West Club. And we hope to see as many of you who can be in attendance there, either in person or on Zoom, it's going to be a really, really great event. Um, following that, the next new moon meeting will be Thursday, May 18th, 
at 6 p.m. Eastern. That should say daylight time, but it's the, it's Eastern time. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Um, and just to say, you know, we don't normally observe the exact moment of the of the new moon, um, but this new moon is actually occurring at the same time as an eclipse. So it's a very powerful time, and thus this sort of appropriate this focus on the will on sacrifice. Um, and so if those of you who are interested in holding the exact time of the new moon, even though it's sort of the lower interlude, it's a time perhaps when the will itself is directed downwards onto the physical plane. And so a very powerful time to make opportunity of, um, the eclipse exact moment of the eclipse is 1038 tonight PM. That's Eastern time. And the exact time of the new moon is at 12 is just 12 minutes past midnight tonight. So early, early. Thursday morning, 12, 12 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So let us now conclude with a, with a moment of silence to link up with the worldwide group. Thank you.